The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome to the show. I'm Wanda Wallace, and today we're going to talk about conversations. So much of what leader, leaders and managers do in work involves conversation. Conversation with a manager, conversation with the direct report, conversation with peers, conversations with customers, meetings, and more conversations. But those who manage those conversations well tend to get better results all around, building trust, engagement, stronger team, keeps being customer satisfied. In fact, I'm convinced that the better the quality of the conversation, the more we admire the person as a leader. So with me today is Judith Glazer, CEO of Benchmark Communications, Chairman of the Creating We Institute, and a world-leading authority in conversational intelligence. Judith is an organizational anthropologist. She consults with lots of Fortune 500 companies. She's the author of seven best-selling books, but her latest and bestseller at the moment is Conversational Intelligence, How Great Leaders Build Trust and Get Extraordinary Results. Judith, welcome to the show. Juan, it's great to be here today. It's wonderful to be here, as a matter of fact. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to this. All right, conversational intelligence. What do you mean by this, and why does that matter so much? Uh, we, we have often thought as uh, the conversations we're exchanging information with people, um, it's just the way it seems to unfold in our life, uh, especially with our busy, hectic lives where a lot of things are transactional. Uh, what I've done is spent a lifetime studying what happens when people engage with each other in conversation. And as the new science, the neuroscience, um, it has been evolving over the last 10 years, it's given us a way to make the invisible visible or see what happens when we engage with other people through conversation. And it's a not at all as simple as just sharing information. Conversation is something that enables us to um, regulate each other's feelings, to step into si- inside of other people's thinking and help support them in the growth that, uh, initiatives. There's so many good things that we can talk about today that make conversation the glue that hold people together and the connectors that keep people feeling alive and excited and revitalized about their life and about the world. So it's interesting that you're right. We do think about conversation as just exchanging information, but you Uh say it's about regulating emotion, the other's emotion. How is that? How does that work? So if you think about that, what we've learned in the field of epigenetics is that um, this is about genes, and we often thought that our genes were fixed, so we'd be born a certain way, the color of your hair is fixed, yes, that part is. Uh, how tall you're going to be, that's already encoded. Those kinds of things are there, but what the scientists have learned over the last bunch of years is that we have transcription genes. This is the miracle of what we're learning about genetics and how that impacts conversations. It turns out that um, our 50% of our genes are encoded to be impacted by the environment. What that means is if you and I are in an environment together. Your interaction, your conversation with me actually has an impact not just on at, at an informational or cognitive level, but it is actually influencing my emotions that I'm having real time in the moment as you and I are engaging with each other. So if you think about that with a child who's very young, a parent is nurturing a child. We might use that word. But what they're doing is actually influencing the child's ability to respond in healthy ways to conversations, to their life. When we go into adult worlds and we think about business, a leader, someone who's managing lots of people, um, based on the words that they choose and how they structure their conversations, are literally turning on and turning off different parts of the brain 
which will either make a, a person that they're working with function effectively and, and in a great way or actually be at a disadvantage because they may be in a fear state. So if, whether it's a fear state or whether it's an enlightened, engaging state where we trust another person, human beings' conversation is actually triggering all of those things going on in the brain to have us feel a certain way about the moment that we're engaging with someone. So this is consistent with a lot of stuff that we're finding out about emotions in the brain, that those kind of triggers happen quickly, rapidly, instantaneously, almost outside of our control. And your comments are really that the conversation puts us in one emotional state or another and triggers a part of our brain related to that emotional state. That's correct. And, and it, as you started to mention, it is, it is so fast that this interaction can take place. Um, we can respond in as quickly as 0.07 seconds to something that's happening in a conversation or even moving into a conversational, conversational space with someone. Um, as I walk into a room, I see you there, you're my boss, you and I have had some interactions, and I'm going to get a chemical shift inside before we even stand face-to-face with each other. All right, so that makes a ton of sense. I get a chemical... I see this in practice all the time. I'm Mm -hmm. anxious about talking with you. I'm nervous about it. I see you. It makes me more nervous. All of those chemicals are going through my brain, and then I am filtering what I hear from you and how I interpret what I hear from you. I react to that. You react to that, and we're off to the races in a different conversation than if I'd started in a non-anxious state. That's absolutely correct. Exactly. Okay. Exactly right. And and so knowing this, you know, what what do we need to do? And and if you would like to talk a little bit more about the chemistry, by the way, of, of what happens when we're feeling good or not feeling good about someone, I'd, I'd love people to know what that is as well. All um, right. I'm going to come back to that. For now, I want okay. to go back to this notion of conversational intelligence and get you, do you have this notion there are three kinds of conversation? Can Describe mm-hmm. that to us. So what I've done a lot of study on are the patterns of interaction. I call them interaction dynamics, and um, that is a combination of pushing, which is telling people, if we put it into conversational terms, there's push energy and pull energy. And the body actually does respond to that, those energetic fields. So the push, there's level one, level two, and level three, and each has their interaction dynamic. Um, level one is the, tran- the um, transactional conversations, and those are much more about facts, about confirming what I know um, I could be talking to, and, and many meetings, by the way, at work when I've analyzed meetings, um, the style and conversational level of meetings, a lot of meetings take place at level one. People are giving each other information, they're getting each other up to date, they're questioning different parts of the story that you're telling, and it's all to get the information clear and to lock in that what I think and you think are the same, um, but it is a low level of transaction. We're not negotiating. We're not advocating. Um, that comes in, in level two, and that is positional conversations. That's where we have a lot more vested interest in the outcome because we are advocating a point of view. So if the first were a meeting and it's sharing information and clarifying and confirming what we know, the second one is about advocating a point of view or a position, and we have a lot more energy behind that. We have a lot more emotion. Different parts of our brain are activated when we have a vested interest and we're trying to influence people in a certain direction. Um, So a lot of meetings take place in level two and in many companies where we say, boy, you know, that's a toxic environment. It's often where the level two conversations get out of hand, meaning that people are really going for winning in that situation. They want to have their points of view heard and adopted, and so we often get into a, uh, a syndrome where it's addicted to being right syndrome, and some people really fight hard for their point of view to win, especially if it could be tied to bonuses or all sorts of things in the company that make them look good. So there is a good version of both, trans, uh, both of the um, transactional and positional. It's, it's healthy when people monitor it and manage it well. And when it's not, and it goes into some of the syndromes, addicted to being right or tell-sell-yell syndromes, then we see a match in the culture of being uh, an unhealthy culture. The, my most favorite of all the levels is level three. Um, this is the one when I've gone into companies and they didn't even know that there was a level three because they spend all their time in the first two. Um, they, they, they are eager to find out what could be better since it's at a higher level. And 
Level three conversation is where human beings actually set rules of engagement with each other um, in order to support each other's thinking, the ability to express our point of view without judgment. Judgment and taking away judgment in the third level is what makes it stand out from the other two because it's asking us to create a neutral space which enables people to have a voice regardless of how difficult the conversation is. And another thing that happens, this, the dynamic there is share and discover. And you can hear the difference between advocate and inquire. One, it does feel more positional because you're advocating a point of view. Where sharing and discovering is where my curiosity is mostly on you and on us and on what we're trying to create or innovate or decide together. And people who land um, in level three uh, do so because trust is the bridge that, that brings the two people together. There has to be trust for the part of the brain where level three lives to open up and give us access to this incredible part of our human nature, which is that where wisdom and um, empathy and ability to think with others, uh, to co-create all lives, is that part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex and heart connection. So we need to understand these three levels and understand how much power lives in that third level so that leaders can learn to move into that and, in fact, choose to move in that together and create extraordinary spaces where organizations can figure out their most difficult challenges together. So this is fascinating. If I understand this correctly from you, Judith, so talking as you've studied patterns interactions with people, you Mm -hmm. find three distinct kinds of conversations, three levels of conversation, Mm -hmm. and each of those levels of conversation happen or activate different areas of the brain. So that not only can you map it from a behavioral point of view, you can map it from a neurological point of view. Correct. And so um, what I've done is I, I've been into different parts of the world talking about conversational intelligence, and it's fascinating well, whether I was in Dubai or whether I was in China or whether I was in um, Indianapolis where I was last week um, or D.C. the week before. Wherever I've taken this work and wherever I've talked about the levels, um, I, I did tests before I brought this out in a book. I found that people said, wow, that's, that's what happens here. In other words, it's a lens. And then people say something like, oh, my goodness, that explains, and they'll give a story about how they're interacting in meetings or how they're interacting, interacting in, with their boss. And all of a sudden, it makes sense that there are, are um, patterns within each level, and each level has a different purpose. And if we learn how to... Um, move ourselves into a level that's going to service us the best, those companies that learn how to do that, practice it, um, exercise it, find that the speed with which the company can make decisions increases, the level of partnership that, feel, that is felt in the environment increases. And so, yes, there are, these three levels have a resonance in different parts of the world, so my belief is that they've been hardwired, we are hardwired for all of them, and it's like choosing the right tools for the right building project that you're doing or for anything that you're doing. When you move into the right level, all of a sudden things start to move beautifully. People feel, even in, in a positional environment, if you choose to uh, talk about positions, at least you know that's what you're doing. And it puts you in a place of working the, the um, atmosphere around the conversation in a way that you can be successful regardless of which level you're stepping into. Okay. All right. So, and then the notion is that I can come to understand each of these three levels, the transactional, the positional, and I forget what you The transformational. Transformational, the third one. Mm -hmm. And I can intentionally move the conversation from one to the other, depending upon what it is I want to achieve in that conversation. Correct. All right. So, can you give me a quick example of moving from a transactional to a positional conversation? What would that sound like? So, um, you're, if, it, I, if I use the meeting environment as a uh, backdrop, um, people are in the meeting and um, they have decisions that have to be made ultimately um, about where to spend money for marketing in order to advance their organization or which new products they wanted to put money in um, because they feel that it's, it's right for the marketplace. So people would first go in and talk about what their markets are all about. So they, they start out in a transactional conversation and they talk about what's happening in the West Coast and what's happening on the East Coast and they're confirming their numbers and um, they're deciding which products seem to have potential um, in the coming months because the months are, might predict what people will buy. So they, 
they picture together through sharing data and information what's actually happening in their uh, environment, in their selling environment, and in their marketing environment. So does that make sense that that's a transactional level one starting place? That makes sense. This makes, okay. We're exchanging information here. We're, yeah, and to validate and confirm that we each have the right information because you might find in that um, someone had the idea that the West Coast was going to be the place to put money because, and they'd give their reasons, and um, the other, somebody else in the room would say, yes, however, here's something that you've missed, and let's take a look at what's happening in, in Southern California or in, uh, you know, Florida or something. And all of a sudden, they're piecing together a puzzle. So in a healthy way, this is healthy for people to do, yep. is to go over yep. some of these things and validate them. Then there's going to be the decision that follows about where money should be put based on what they've just discussed. And in some cases, there may be people in the room that have vested interests for certain products getting out into the marketplace sooner than others. And that's when we're in the positional conversation where people are saying, well, you know, I, would, I believe that based on the research that I've done in the market that, that I'm responsible for, this would be a great place to, to put our money and invest in bringing a couple of new products out. And then somebody in the room would talk about, well, that's, that's great, and I understand that. Let me talk about where we could be putting money because we only have a certain amount of budget. Um, I, I remember working in, with one client with Donna Karen where um, there were 11 presidents, and each one was looking at the end at different times in the year in where they were going to put their, their budgets or the whole company's money. And I remember sitting in those meetings. That's one of the places where I was mapping them and watching in some cases, the quality of positional conversations that the leaders were having, how well they were able to structure their conversations about what they wanted and what they needed, and also in some cases how difficult it was, still difficult to make the decisions, even in, in an environment with leaders that are that become very equipped at, at using positional conversations. So every business goes through the need to clarify its, its information, especially when it comes to these types of conversations. Um, they need to have people who are willing to use um, their personal power when it comes to the positional conversations, meaning um, some people could use positional power, like the leader who runs this if the CEO happens to be in a meeting and, and the CEO says, um, I know we're going to have a lot of difficult conversations today, um, and I know in this particular case I'm going to be the one that will make the final decision. Now he's gone into the positional framework and said, um, you can all influence each other. However, I've, I've got the decision. I'm the one that's taking it. So that's one way to work positional conversations. And the other is to allow each person to be equal in the weight of their conversation and be cogent or effective in, in influencing others um, to make the decision. So both are necessary for business, for sure. Okay, fabulous. All right, so Judith, we're going to take a break at this point, but with me today is Judith Glazer. Judith is a world's leading authority on conversational intelligence, and the book is Conversational Intelligence. We've been talking about the fact that there are three levels of conversation, transactional, positional, and transformational. Transformational. I keep getting the wrong word there because I stumbled (laughs) on it. That each of those activates different areas in the brain and that we want to be conscious about how we move from one to the other and skillful in moving from one to the other, each having their place. When we come back, I want to spend some time talking about transformational, what it looks like and how we can get better at it. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 
472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Judith Glazer, and Judith is the leading authority on conversational intelligence. So we've just been talking about three distinct levels of conversation. Transactional conversation, where we're facts and figures and confirming. Level two conversation, which is positional, where there's a vested interest in I'm advocating for a point of view. And level three, which is transformational, where I'm taking out the judgment and doing a neutral space, trying to find a neutral space. Now, we were just talking about an example where you move from transactional to positional. Say a company is trying to determine what products to invest in and then which markets, and they go from exchanging facts about the data about the different markets and the different products, the transactional conversation, into a positional conversation where they are advocating for one choice or another, and people start to have influence with each other or with the decision maker. So, Judith, in that same example, what does it look like to transition from positional to transformational, the third level? Um, it's, it's really interesting. I've worked with two companies um, where there's both have different ways of moving into level three, but both are fascinating. Um, and uh, one of them is uh, Burberry, the the clothing, the beautiful hundred year, what was a hundred year old. Uh, raincoat uh, company that transformed itself into one of the highest fashion forward companies in the world and competing in its growth and presence to Apple and um, Facebook and, and all of the, and Google. Uh, it's amazing, even against technology companies. And um, the way that the, uh, the previous CEO who was there is now at Apple, by the way, uh, Angela Arndt used to talk about um, how she said she would say, this conversation is not about me. It's not about you. It's about the brand. And that was her way of resetting people once they expressed their points of view about um, what things people thought should be focused on and where money should be put. And she would say, now let's take it to a higher level. Because she could sense that there was um, some of the positional, you start to feel it when people are advocating strongly for their points of view. Um, and she'd say, let's think about it in terms of the brand. So for her, that was the code word to get into level three conversations, um, and actually a very effective one. Um, at Target, another big company that I worked at w- worked with, um, we would sit around the table and also, again, express it was always where, you know, every company has to decide where to put its money when it comes to buy and sell. And so the team had a, a way of doing it um, and uh, would just say, let's get into level three because they knew that, that this was the time where they had to separate themselves from their ego and begin to think about what was right for the brand and what was right for the company and for the next couple of years. And so part of it is, is neutralizing the environment to make it safe to speak up. Um, the second thing that's very important is for people to let go of their vested interests and try to construct a story of where their company is going, what the aspiration is for the company, separate from their individual products, you know, where the market is giving them feedback. And so it would ask people to stretch outside of their own vested interests and begin to think about their company, um, the heart and soul of the company, and how decisions need to be made. And um, in both of those cases and in other companies that we've worked with, once people understand that it's, there's a win there for everyone because the company, understanding your company, if that's the focus, um, and paying attention to its growth over the next couple of years, everybody benefits from that focus or that area of attention. And so it's really letting go of where your story is, where your interest is, and opening it up and start to co-create. So in the case, and I've used in both cases their retail environments, but I remember conversations where people would start to talk about um, what is there anything that we could do together as a co-creation, as a um, shared exhibit, as a um, some way to attract the customers where we use what's in your um, uh, uh, product line and what's in mine. And out of that, sometimes what they would end up doing is creating something new for the company that never existed before. And it took people down a completely different path of thinking. You know, it gave them an, uh, an idea that made them innovative different from other retail stores. And so transformational, co-creational is another word that we use for level three. It's where people get together and say, what if we, what if is the common lead-in to a, a co-creational level three conversation? You know, what if we tried doing this and this? We've never done it before. 
what would our chances be of succeeding? Let's talk about what it would look like. And you get people to, to paint an aspirational picture with each other of what something new that has never been created before would look like, whether it's uh, combining, in the case of Target, they had a food section, combining something of food with something that has to do with apparel. Um, maybe it has to do with the, bringing one of their sports uh, areas together with uh, their clothing area and coming up with a new fashion design um, combination. But I've, been, I've listened to many conversations at Level 3 where people are saying, oh, my goodness, we've never thought of that before. What a great combination that might be. So they step out of where a potential conflict is and they move into a higher level where co-creation, people working together to invent and create something that never existed before, begins to emerge. There's the space in their mind is open to deal with uncertainty, which is most importantly, that's part of what's in the prefrontal cortex, the capability to deal with uncertainty where you don't have to go for a right answer right away. And in that extra space is where you start to find combinations of things that never existed before. So I'm going to stop and um, see if this is making sense so far. It makes a ton of sense to me. In fact, it connects with several things that I know. And let me give you two points that connect and then an example from my own experience. Mm -hmm. Three points that connect. One is this sort of says why when we're building fabulous teams, having a common goal is so powerful. Because it's that common aspirational that lets us step to the higher level and to the transformational or co-creational space conversation. Like in Burberry, it's about the brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the exactly. second thing is it strikes me that if we're going to do innovation, short of we're going to have one person who comes up with all the grand ideas, then we have to be in the co-creational space. That it's one part from one place and another part from another place. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's wonderful. It's, it, it's yeah. wonderful. The brain, when the brain feels trust, I know we're going to talk about that at some point, um, when the brain feels safe enough to put together wild ideas, because that, sometimes they are very wild, very different, um, things that people never thought about before. And in, in history, we always see people saying to each other, oh, that's such a stupid idea. How could you ever think about that? You know, it, things just don't work that way here. When we hear those conversations or those comments, those are cortisol producing. They close down the brain. They could close down everybody in the room, again, in that 0.07 seconds, um, because there are other people that might have wild card ideas, um, putting things together that never existed before, and it cuts them off before the idea has a, a, a space to birth itself in the room. So It also strikes me, I mean, we know from the research on conflict and on navigating your way through conflict, that one of the things is to go into a creative space, you know, seeking alternative solutions. And you've just explained to me why, that that is fundamentally creating a transformational level three conversation, not just a positional advocating lobbying um, conversation. So that makes sense to me. And it's also said, you know, years ago, many years ago, I was working at an advertising agency and I watched conversations that have baffled me for ages because it was a very rigid structure, a very rigid decision-making process, incredibly rigid in my view, watching Team Dynamics. But I've never seen such collaboration in my life in that creative talent would come together who have invested a ton of time in one idea or another idea and come together and instantaneously say, well, let's put those two, I'll take a piece of this, and you take a piece of that, and we'll come up with something that's better. So again, we get this notion of what it takes to create transformational level conversations and the power that can come out of those. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... And I, I do, I love when what you just said, where one person will turn to the other, and that the, the, they have a ritual embedded in their environment, which says, I can take a piece of yours and you can take a piece of mine and it'll work. Just that alone, it's a, um, it's that sharing space that, that has that neutral ring around it in a way. It enables people to say that even by giving away part of what they had co- created in the beginning, but to feel comfortable seeing a combination being the solution. That's a great culture. That's that's a wonderful culture that you described. Yeah, it's a, no reason that com- it was a good reason that company survived for a really long time too, as well. So now, if I'm a leader leading a team, and I would like to create an environment where we can have more transformational conversations, what are the key things I need to be doing as the leader? It, you you as a leader need to know that 
whatever you were doing before this conversation, this transformational conversation, um, there may be rules of engagement that lived in that conversation, the one that you had before, or even before that. And so what leaders need to do if they want to move people into level three is um, practice establishing the rules of engagement with each other for what level three looks like so people know they can connect a body chemistry and a shift in the moment into that level. So one client that I have has got 65,000 people, they're global, um, they're in the top 50 companies, and they, they know what the definition of level three means now. So the CEO, uh, I was in a meeting, a, a town hall meeting with 150 people, he was in there talking about what we wanted to do, and he said, and now I'd like you to go into level three. So imagine that this group of people have been prepped in a way, have had conversations about, have heard about what level three is. And so their body chemistry is now queued up for that word. And I really mean that. We, we now know that introducing, like the new, this is a new word for some companies, level three, transformational, co-creating conversations, these are all new. We have a great chance of redefining what those, or defining what those words mean and when there's a neutral space or there is not a lot of knowledge around a new word like level three, believe it or not, the brain is extremely open. It's like a closet that doesn't have clothes in it, and you get to put the clothes in that you want. In a way, our brain works that way when we introduce new terms in companies, and then we have people help create what the rules of engagement are for that space. Then automatically, there's a place in the brain that is our motor brain, which is where we have action. Uh, that shows up or that takes place behind ideas. And so with that clean space to work with and with a company and a leader willing to talk about what rules you'd like to create in order to keep that space open and clean, those combinations of activities together enable the motor brain, which is where we take action and move into action, to have a clean connect in a way. And it makes it easier for people to then follow by it, by action um, with what they need to be doing in order to live into that level three conversation. Does that make any sense? It's kind of like writing your own sense. dictionary. Yeah. So I use yeah. new language that doesn't come with expectations of what it means, and therefore we define it, and then I create an expectation that mm-hmm. is without judgment of the conversation. Now, That's can right. a leader dictate these rules of engagement, or do they need to be created, co-created with the team? Yeah, dictate... Di- Yes, you're, that's a great question. Um, they, if they're dictated, some companies say, well, we, uh, di- they start out before I work with them, and they say, well, we have rules of engagement. In fact, they were so important to us that we put them up in the walls of many rooms, and people agreed to follow them. That's very different from what I'm talking about. The second option, which you mentioned, is where people co-create them. The reason for co-creating is, again, that wherever they were created, if you put up a sign in a room that where this team wasn't, it's, it's not going to connect to that rule, nor is it going to connect. It's going to feel like rules. Rules, in fact, are almost a funny word. Um, you can talk about uh, ways of being together, um, how we want to shape the room. There's so many ways to do that, but if you see rules up on the wall that somebody else has created, you don't have that understanding of activating in your own brain um, your set of behaviors that go with it. And it's not personal. It's not real. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't move you into the prefrontal cortex heart connection because you don't have heart in it. And you can't take something like this. Uh, it's too important. So okay. I would highly recommend leaders uh, starting meetings doing the rules of engagement and calling it whatever works for you. But hearing the voices of the people in the room and having all voices be heard is really important to establish that energetic field that is part of what conversations are all about. It's an energy field that exists amongst the people that are in the room, and it's, it's either going to be a pure field of trust or it's going to be a field that lives with distrust. And by inventing the rules together, it creates much more moves you in the direction of trust with the people in the room. All right, so I get that. If I am dictating as a leader or posting them on the walls and it's my say or a small subset of saying, that's almost a level one transactional because I am giving you the facts of how we're going to talk. It could be a positional because I'm advocating for my view of how it is, but it certainly yeah. isn't something that's co-created. And in that, you're not going to get, as you said, to the prefrontal context, cortex excuse me, or to that sense of um, safety and non-judgment. 
Okay, with me today, we're going to take a break. With me today is Judith Glazer. Judith is CEO of Benchmark Communications and the chairman of the Creating We Institute. She describes herself as an organizational anthropologist. She's a consultant to lots of Fortune 500 companies and the world's leading authority on conversational intelligence. The book, Conversational Intelligence, How Great Leaders Build Trust and Get Extraordinary Results. And we've been talking about three levels of conversation, transactional, positional, and transformational. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I want to talk about that word trust. Because as you've just heard, it's hard to have a transformational conversation with trust, so that's what we'll focus on when we come back. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Judith Glazer, a specialist, the world's leading authority on conversational intelligence, and we have been talking about the three levels of conversation, each that has a different highlight, different activity center in the brain. Uh, Transactional conversation, which is just exchanging information and facts. Positional conversation, where we're advocating for a point of view, trying to influence people. And transformational or co-creational conversation, which activates the prefrontal contact cortex and is a place where there's not judgment but a common ground, a space where something's neutral and we create something completely new. I hope I've done a decent job of summarizing those three. So (laughs) moving to between these, it's clear in the transformational conversations, the co-creational conversations, the level three, that trust is a really, really important factor. So, Judith, you know, talk to us about how we create greater trust. Does trust get created and then we can have transformational, or is it the transformational conversations that create trust? Well, again, that's a, that's a great question. Um, the the body, our body sense trust. It's one of the most important things that we uh, have surveillance on, and when. Uh, when we're in a place of distrust, just so that um, I can give you a visual and give your listeners a visual, um, trust and distrust do not live in the same part of the brain, interestingly enough. Um, they're not a continuum of each other. It, it turns out that distrust um, is resident in the lower brain, meaning we pick up that sensitive feeling that I can't count on this person to be on my side, um, that I, I feel judged by this person. Um, those are, are things that trigger the lower brain. It's the, uh, the amygdala hijack we talk about. Um, it's the part of the brain that it has more primitive um, transcription in it, meaning that it picks up the feelings. Uh, it, it, it doesn't go for just words. It goes for that feeling of uh, being rejected or pushed away or, or not, not uh, someone I can count on. And so that's the lower brain, and that is where distrust lives. Uh, Angelica DeMocha, who is at Fox School of Business, she's a double PhD and the first um, executive neuroscientist to be brought into a business school. And she's done most of the work that I trust um, on the concept of trust. She got together 102 scientists um, and neuroscientists and psychologists to share their work on about trust and distrust. And out of that, it came that 
distrust lives in the lower brain, trust lives in the prefrontal cortex, which we've been talking about is that place where that wonderful transformational place where things um, can be discussed in a neutral way and people can, we listen differently when we're in level three. We listen to understand the other person's point of view, but also their perspective on the world, uh, where we listen to actually learn how to ask better questions of each other in order to bring out nuances of thinking that can help us make better decisions. So, so trust is in the prefrontal cortex heart connection, and those two are connected for a reason. The heart and prefrontal cortex is because, again, in the very fastest of ways, the heart can pick up that feeling of connection or disconnection. When we're in 10 feet of another person, we can feel their energy, we can feel their heartbeat, and we either connect to that or we don't connect to that. Um, our brain is either going to open up, our prefrontal cortex is either going to open up or not. And so understanding that as a leader can give the leader much more uh, strength in looking to see how they can neutralize the space for the conversations they're having, especially if it's really important decisions that are going to require people thinking very, very differently with each other. Um, and so creating that safe space um, is important to do. And there are things that you can do, there are rituals that that leaders can do or uh, activities that they can do. If you don't like the word ritual, I have, because I'm an anthropologist, I, I happen to love that word. Um, but there are things that a leader can do to help set the mind in that space of trust, even if some of the people in the room um, are not at 100% trust with each other. That's a lot to ask. And so we know that trust and distrust can coexist, exist at the same time. It can create uncertainty which often, even though people want to be in level three, sometimes they have trouble getting into it. However, these rituals that, that we can talk about are what help bring this uh, a team into a space where their chemistry shifts with each other in the moment, and they're able to start a conversation by priming the space for trust. Fabulous. So I don't have to have 100% of everybody's all on the same page for this, and everybody is all you know trusting everybody. I just can go through a series of activities, I love the word rituals, that move some people in that direction, and that's going to help. Exactly. So So, give me some um, examples of the rituals. So so there are a couple of rituals that that people can use, and they can use them um, for uh, so so many things inside of a company and so many opportunities. It's not just making the biggest decisions for the future or for the marketplace, but, but just having, um, being in a good place with each other. One of the rituals that people say they love to do a lot is um, around transparency, that we trust people who are transparent with us and tell us the truth about what's going on, what's on their mind. And so in some of my clients, they have rituals where they update each other with very personal things that they wouldn't normally share with a lot of people, but it brings them into a different mind space. So often it's uh, talking about things that are happening in your life outside of work. That's one of the common places where people will go to start opening up their mind and their heart and their soul to other people. Um, and, and, and that brings a sense if people go around the room and they do a sharing, for example, that's a ritual. And uh, again, you could define whether it's business, but most people automatically choose personal in order to create that sense of, I'm listening to you as a human being to human being, not as somebody who has a position that I want to argue. It takes that positional piece right out of it. Um, does that make sense? That makes a ton of sense. So we create a conversation where it's, there's no advocacy, there's mm-hmm. no vested interest other than just hearing what you have to say. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, okay. So that, that's, that's one of the rituals. Another ritual which... Um, I think is the one that, there are two that I like actually. One is called listening to connect. And that is where we're learning to listen, not to judge the person, not to say in your head, I'm just waiting until they finish that so I can say what I want to say. That's the old um, positional thinking that often creeps up during positional conversations and transactional conversations. Um, But it's learning how to um, listen to connect to the vision, the picture, the universe, the reality that this person has in mind. It's, it's, um, it's really trying to go inside of their head and see the whole picture of who they are and, and what they want to bring into the world. Um, and people seem to feel that in their heart um, when people listen that way as opposed to judgmentally. People feel it in their heart, and that's what brings hearts into sync and gives the coherent wave that each has starts to mirror each other's coherent wave, that gets translated in the brain to trust. 
And so people, again, will start to open up and be willing to, to say or allow ideas that are wild, those wild, crazy ideas that are the most important ones, um, allow them to surface. So listening to Connect, and I'd love any of your listeners, if you want to try to practice some conversational intelligence uh, skills and rituals, that the listening to Connect um, is such a wonderful one. We talk about the 15-day and a 30-day um, a tr- practice experiment where you go in and in your mind decide for the next 15 or 30 days you're going to try to listen to connect and watch the difference in the conversation, the quality of the conversation, which is where we started talking about today. So uh, listen to connect is one. And the other is asking questions for which you have no answers. So when we ask leading questions or when we're advocating a point of view, we could say, you know, you'd really like to see this, wouldn't you? Those types of questions that aren't really questions. Um, but asking questions for which you don't have answers require you to listen and uh, listen to connect to what's important to the person and then continue to ask questions about what's on their mind by um, asking these deeper questions that ultimately bring out, um, it's, it's almost like it elevates the possibility for new and novel things to occur in the conversation. All right. So listening to connect reminds me of what we would have called the old uh, active listening. And it's incredibly yep. hard, though, I think, for people to suspend everything that's going on in their head to focus on just what it is that you're telling me and what does it really mean. So do you have any advice for how to do this other than just try to be intentional? Um, first of all, I want to make a, distinct, a distinction. Active listening or listening to understand um, is not the same as listening to connect. Um, and I want to make that distinction so people know the difference. Listening to understand is, again, it's much more transactional where I'm trying to understand what you've just said to me. So um, we were taught years ago to repeat back what somebody said and repeat it back exactly as they said it so they can hear it and see if that's what they meant Um, or interpret it a little bit to see if you can interpret what they meant. But both of them are about what they just said. And we're talking about creating an energetic field through listening that enables people to feel safe enough to speak up about everything that's on their mind um, and giving them that space, uh, you can do it through um, what another great conversational um, uh, tool, which is called double clicking, um, where you're asking if, if, let's say, you use the word leadership, and I'd say talk a little bit more about what leadership, what aspect of leadership you mean. And so I go down deeper and deeper with you, um, as opposed to just confirming what I heard. I'm now going deeper into what that meant. And then I might say again, that's a great w- word. I hadn't thought of it that way. Tell me more about what that means. And so as you ask people, you double-click on the words, you're listening to connect, you ask questions for di- which you don't have answers, you end up with a diff- completely different conversation. And that's okay. the beauty of this. It's not just, again, about better information. It's about going deeper with people and what they're thinking and what they haven't even finally put together. But that's what provokes and excites people is all of a sudden somebody will say, oh, my God, that was such so helpful. That conversation really got me to think about this, and this is what I really, really feel is important for our team. Does it make okay. sense, the deeper, deeper aspect? It, might, it makes a lot of sense. So it's not just about getting information and confirming that information. It's about mm-hmm. really trying to get the other person to articulate what it is they really mean and they're really thinking. What I often describe is what's below the surface. Yes, exactly. Exactly so right, I, Wanda. I do that by asking questions that I don't have an answer to and I haven't already guessed what you're going to say about. I do that by asking people to say, what do you mean? I do that by asking people to say, what's on your mind? What are you thinking? Why are you thinking that? What's driving that? Those kinds of questions? Yeah, those kinds of questions. Um, Some people have to be a little careful with the why questions uh, because some of us have been asked, like, why do you think that? And you can hear my energy behind that. That was a judgment. Why? Um, and, and so the tone that goes with the words that we use um, are what people pick up as well. So um, some, I, believe it or not, I, I spent months and months and months with the, my graduate fellowship and with my professor, who was the one that really taught me to think about what I'm asking and what I'm saying and record some of the responses that people give. Because as we watch ourselves, we start to see we have patterns or habits that might be leading to activating the lower brain or the, uh, um, the amygdala or, or some part of the limbic system that where people have more uncertainty and are getting fearful. And so without realizing it, one word can turn us um, backwards into 
being in cortisol versus oxytocin. So if we think about the best conversations we've had, they're the ones that give us that feeling of we're really connected to the other person. Uh, and that, that is part by a, an oxytocin bath that starts to get sprayed in the brain as we have these wonderful level three conversations. Even if they're difficult, they don't feel difficult. They feel supportive of some great end game like Angela had talked about. It's like building the brand together. It's a different kind of feeling and a different type of um, energy that, that comes out between us. So chemically, um, oxytocin is the winner, in my mind, uh, to elevate conversational intelligence. <laughs> Absolutely. So there's the answer. There's the secret. Increase the oxytocin in your conversations, and you'll have better conversations, greater quality, more creativity, more innovation. I love it, Judith. I love also the way that you have interplayed here in between the observations that you have in the environment and the neurological science of what we're learning at the moment about how we respond to emotions. So thank you very much. Oh, you're quite welcome. This is my favorite subject. I sleep it. I dream it. I talk it. <laughs> I write about it. It's, uh, there's so much more for us to yet learn. Um, there are places in the brain that are, uh, there's a button called rostromedial prefrontal cortex. It's like me or not like me, literally a spot in the brain. And so if we meet people that we feel are so different than we are, our natural tendency is to feel that we may not be able to connect with them. So I, that's why I love to have leaders do things like go around the room and talk about stories that are personal because it brings people into that place of saying, oh, my God, they're more like me than I thought. And when that occurs, a whole room of people that seemed that they would be foreign to each other turn out to be great partners in the conversational space. Judy, thank you. Judith, thank you very much. Insightful conversations and I think a lot to explain. Thank you. It's been terrific to be on here and you do ask some really great questions. So bringing out the best in what the subject is all about. That's wonderful. Thank you for having me on. With me today was Judith Glazer, the CEO of Benchmark Communications and a world's leading authority on conversational intelligence. I think the thing that's most exciting to me about today has to do with this notion of recognizing three distinctly different kinds of conversations and how we intentionally move from transactional to positional to transformational. It's the transformational space that's going to create the trust and the creativity. So, Fabulous show, great insights, and join me next week for the next show. Thanks very much. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.